0: Today, we have a special guest for our Zoom-in section to discuss the three global giant OTT platforms that's over-the-top media service competing for a pie in the Korean market. For this, we have Sangun Yoo connecting with us from California, USA. Hello. Hi. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving Thanksgiving in the U.S. Yes. What time is it over there where you are?
1: Oh, uh, it's 3.30 30, and uh, you know, the city is very uh, quiet. In the morning. Emergency... Oh, my. No, it's 3.30 30 in, in, in the afternoon. Ah, okay,
0: yeah. okay, okay. That's more palatable. All right. right. <laughs> Let me introduce you a little bit to our listeners. Hungan Yoo is a published writer of three books as well as many journal articles. He is visiting lecturer at the University of California Riverside's Culture and Media Studies Department. He also serves as the South Korean representative for a science fiction research association that is quite the body of work there. I'm sure that does doesn't cover everything, but that is the reason why you have, we have you here today to talk about this very interesting topic of OTT dominance here in South Korea. So we recently had Disney Plus enter the Korean market, and uh, watchers are now curious how they will do, especially with Netflix being so dominant, um, and Apple TV has been trailing along. So what is your prospects for Disney Plus in the Korean market?
1: Yeah, so in order to predict the future of these OTT, uh platform service industries in Korea, we have to first consider about the uniqueness of Korean market for uh, Western companies. So if you think about the history of other American companies attempting to enter the Korean market, uh, Korea was always resistant. So if you compare it to our neighboring country, Japan, if you think about uh, the Japanese people, the, the the way they use the American tech companies, they use Yahoo for uh, their email, um, um, sending and receiving, and they use Amazon Japan for uh, purchasing product, and they use um, uh, Google for search as a search engine. However, if you think about uh, what we do in Korea, uh, the, uh, the, uh, when um, Amazon tried to enter into the Korean market, there was already G-Market, and now people are using coupon. Koreans use Naver instead of Google for search engine. Koreans use uh, KakaoTalk instead of WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger. So Netflix, we can say, is probably the first American tech company that success, successfully landed on the Korean market. Yeah, so Korean market is to,
0: very unique in that regard, isn't in it? In that
1: regard, yeah, it, it is very unique, even comparing to other uh, Asian countries, not just Japan. Mm-hmm. So I think the success of the Netflix uh coming from two reasons. So first, Netflix offers something that local companies do not, provide mm. so you, if you think about these like neighbor can replace google coupon can replace amazon because they are service they are providing services but what netflix provides is contents and content is you know by definition is not replaceable so you need you content watch, that's exactly right. exactly you cannot watch you know speed game in, in watch out or wave right right. so uh that's the first reason i, I think that's the power of the original content mm-hmm. And secondly, I think Netflix are doing a fantastic job on localization. So they hired people who understood local markets, even early on, to infiltrate um, these contents to worldwide. So the question is, can Disney Plus and Apple TV have the same development and expansion in Korea? Hmm. So I think it depends on irreplaceability of their contents. And, and it matters how constantly they can provide this kind of irre- irreplaceable content to uh, Korean market. Um, so if you think about this OTT platform and why people subscribe and pay money for these kind of services, so people tend to, people use the sub- first subscription to Disney Plus 4 in order to watch Mandalorian, right? And my friends would subscribe to uh, Hulu to watch, you know, The uh, um, the, um, the House uh, Handmaid's Tale, So it's about the specific content, not about the service. Mm -hmm. So it matters, you know, like whether Disney Plus can do, you know, provide this kind of content constantly. And also about the Apple TV. So we are now waiting for, you know, Dr. Brain and Pachinko. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how they can continuously provide this kind of amazing content to us.
0: Right. That's true, because I was actually talking to a friend the other day who had joined Disney Plus, and I was asking, how's it going? Do you think you'll be sticking around? And she had actually said, I wish I had um, children, because I think this would be a great way to uh, keep them occupied. But there does come a point where um, the nostalgia of going through the old Disney classics, uh does start to wither. And there's so much competition as it is, right? I mean, we've talked about some of the global names, Disney, Apple, as well as Netflix. But South Korean players are in this as well. Um, And as you mentioned early on, South Korean companies tend to be very good at knowing their local market um, and just kind of the unique uh, idiosyncrasies that that, uh, Koreans have very high level of of standards as well, right? So um, it remains to be seen uh, whether these global companies can adopt that as well. Of course, these OTT giants are investing a great amount of money into the market, and a lot of that is also going into uh, marketing as well. Do they have different content strategies, in your view? Um, And what are their marketing strategies?
1: Uh, I think, yeah, the, if, you, if you think about these three companies, Apple TV, Disney Plus, and Netflix, um, I think they all have very different contents and marketing strategies. So if we uh, think about Netflix first, I think Netflix was very successful, as I said, with the term globalization. so global localization, right? Mm-hmm. So in particular, if you think about their recent employee and HR kind of strategy, they recently hired, um, uh, promoted two Korean employees to VP level, vice president level to make this localization even further. So, um, and we are already witnessing Netflix investing a lot of money to create Korean specific contents for Korean audiences. And I think the international success of Squid Game was not even expected by the uh, executive of Netflix. I think they originally produced Squid Game in an attempt to localize the content And now, boom, it just succeeded globally, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think Disney Plus and Apple TV should learn a lot from Netflix to succeed in these kind of other countries. So Disney Plus is already showing a lot of problems with translation subtitles. And uh, I I see it from my Instagram post. A lot of my friends are posting the problems of their Korean uh, translations Uh, and subtitles.
0: Getting a good laugh out of it.
1: Right, right. So uh, I think Disney Plus does not have enough personnel or human power to check whether their contents and translation is good enough for Korean market. Mm. Uh, and as for Apple TV, I think um, they don't have any specific marketing strategies yet because they are latecomers. And uh, but Netflix um, is leading the industry. And but if you consider the difference in the size of these two companies' assets you know, Apple has enough money to follow Netflix if they want to. So Apple's net worth, you know, is 10 times bigger than Netflix. So the issue is not about the money or budget power, mm-hmm. but prioritization and the finding the right person to do the localization job. So it's not easy, even with all the money. For instance, Amazon has more money to do localization for its AI speaker, but Amazon AI speaker still cannot speak or understand Korean at all. So It's not about whether they can do it or not, but whether they care enough about the Korean market. So I don't think Apple will invest that much energy for their content localization for now, but we'll see because it's it's about what they can prioritize. Right.
0: I mean, Apple is also not a primarily content company. They are a technology company. Um, But yeah, we'll see if if this is an area that they will invest more money in. But um, what do you think? It is that the consumers want right now. Uh, What content is working for these OTT platforms in your view?
1: So I think the media landscape is changing really, really rapidly, you know. So if you want to make a good content for this kind of OTT platform, the artists and film directors, I think, should understand the difference Mm -hmm. between dramas in OTT platform and the traditional films. Hmm. So, what audiences in OTT platform one is first and foremost binge watching, right? So we are still mostly stuck in our home, and we have forty-eight hours for the entire weekend. It's so, so dangerous,
0: OTT. though. But yes, binge right, watching. right. So, like, I'm still, you know,
1: like browsing my Netflix, mm-hmm. and it's like a poverty in the in the affluence, right? Like there are so many content, but like I still cannot choose one because sometimes it's too short. Sometimes the content is like eight seasons too intimidating, uh-huh. so I think yeah the artists and film directors should think about like at least six hours or eight hours long contents even in the pre-production stage.
0: Uh-huh. So if you think
1: about Street Game, it's, it's nine hours long. Uh, the recent Korean drama in Netflix, Hellbound, is six hours long. Mm. So um, that's true. If they wanna yeah, if the artists wanna sell their content to Netflix or other OTT, they must plan um, whether their content can be extended. Um, to at least six hours. So traditionally, these film directors were trying to make two hours film, but now they have to think, they have to rethink um, about their plan. And in terms of the screenplay, um, I think what, what matters in this kind of um, expanded like hours, uh, six hours, eight hours contents and season kind of system, uh, the drama series nowadays has to have multi-layered narrative arc. So, which means um, drama series for binge-watching is very different from film-watching because these drama series should have a complete narrative arc in each episode. It should have its own independent film. But at the same time, the film director should think about entire seasons. So each episode should build up following the season's narrative arc. Uh But at the same time, there's one more layer because if you think about the multiple seasons, each season should also build up. So there should be three layers um, there are um, and also, you know, uh, uh, of course, obviously, the good CGI is important recently, the Korean drama Jiri-san, I had a huge expectation, but like poor CGI, and this ridiculous, like the PPL we call in Korea, the indirect advertisement. The product placement. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So um, that's the second thing. And lastly, in terms of the genre, I think the people now tend to have more craving for genre fiction, Mm. such as, you know, zombies, space travel, fantasy, ghost stories, sci-fi. So I think, yeah, like layer, multi-layered narrative arc, good CGI uh, genre and the the six hours, eight hours kind of screenplay plan. Yeah,
0: yeah those are interesting points. I want to uh, dig into that multi-layered aspect that you spoke on just a little bit, if we can. How would that differ from a, um, you know, a traditional TV drama that we've seen in the past? Did it would, would it would the story narrative for each episode have to be more defined than they have been for a TV drama, for example?
1: Right, so um, I think... Uh, the film, director, but if you think about two hours film, like just traditional film, you, you just you don't need to think about like what you have to hide in the narrative for the next film, right? Mm-hmm. The f- one film should be independent product. But in this kind of seasons drama system, like the multi episodes drama season, you have to think about one episode should have like the climax, beginning climax, and the ending. But at the same time, you have to insert what you will use l- in the later episode. Right, And right. like hints and meccafins and everything. I see. So this kind of like requires more like complicated kind of planning and thought uh, from the film directors.
0: A lot more uh, detailed planning of the content as well. Right. So how do these OTT platforms make money? I think that's a question that a lot of viewers perhaps have have as they're watching these giants compete for market uh, prowess. Are subscriptions usually enough to support their businesses?
1: Yeah, I think uh, this question comes up uh, because it feels like we pay like less than our, how much we pay to the traditional spheres because you pay just oh ten dollars fifteen dollars per month but you think about this entire year and multi years right it's like a paying taxes right so national governments you know uh the run countries by collecting taxes from the citizens so imagine you can collect ten dollars from household not from one country but from the world right so you can you can actually with this money build the government so if you compare it to the uh, national budget or tax revenue, the Korean national yearly uh, tax revenue was $426 billion last year. And Netflix now has uh, 209 million subscribers. If you count $10 to that, then we'll arrive with the yearly profit of over $20 billion. It's one-twentieth of Korean government's annual tax revenue. It's one-fifth of the Thai government's yearly tax revenue. So. Yes, you can actually make a government with this kind of profit, and I think this is the scariest thing about the platform business. So when they first start a platform business, uh, they the strategy of their uh, the uh, the running the business is usually they do not leave any profit behind. Mm. It would be best if they constantly reinvested to eradicate their competitors, and if they eradicate their competitors, now it's like their kingdom, so they can. Um, um, there is no other option. So people now have no other options than just subscribing and paying taxes constantly to the Netflix. If, without watching Netflix, they cannot join the conversations of their peers. So, um, yeah, so um, my answer to your question is yes, so subscription is enough to make money for OTT platforms. And they will make increase the profit and it will be more profitable in the
0: future. Okay. Now, as OTT platforms become bigger, as we consume media and more and more people go to that OTT space, um, are there any problems or issues that we should be aware of?
1: It's, it's really a really nice question. Um, I think the most, the, the biggest concern I have is about the mo- uh, monopoly. Mm. It's already becoming like monopoly. So once these companies establish their kingdom, killing all the competitors, film directors and artists have no other option than um, to provide content to these platforms, right? With even less money. So the pandemic and the OTT services are already destroying the traditional film industries. Right. And if you were a talented film director, what would you do, right? You must sell your film somewhere and probably Netflix would be the way that you can make your films watched by most audiences. So, In the future, I think Netflix will probably pay less to these artists while they charge more from the audiences. So we have to think about the lessons from the history, I think. In 1948, if you can remember the the lessons from the history book, the U.S. government actually had a lawsuit against the Paramount Pictures, uh, and the Supreme Court of the U.S. prohibited the film production company from owning theaters at the same time. So it's known as an antitrust case. So I think this is a very crucial moment. We have to think about this kind of law uh, to avoid OTT platform industries to, you know, dominate uh, the world's market. So of course, this is way more difficult to legalize because the issue at stake is not just about one country. So I think um, if monopoly happens from, so like Netflix Kingdom actually happens, you know, is really terrible for the artists and and, and audiences. Um, if they have enough power, I think they will slightly begin to think about censorship as well. Mm. And even now, the artists and filmmakers cannot make films like that can you know reveal the secrets or the illegal things about Netflix. They will totally prohibit th- those kind of content to be released in Netflix. And if a filmmaker or artist make a film about like openly anti-US ideology, will they allow it to you know show in the Netflix? I don't think so. So that's another concern.
0: Right. Monopoly is uh, a concern, as you said. I mean, I've already heard years ago, actually, friends in the movie business in Los Angeles and beyond having to move outside of state as well to uh, accommodate uh, these changes in the industry. Um, I think those of us who work in the media industry too have really felt the impact of eyeballs going online as opposed to the traditional Television that now really kind of feels like a remnant of history already in uh, right. many ways, especially probably Definitely. in the United States where you are. Right. So, um, how can you? How would you ex- uh, s- explain the future of media consumption? Here we are with OTT platforms. People are, as you said, committing their weekends to binge watch through their favorite uh, dramas Boy. and and always looking for new content. Um, Is this feeding into something you know very greater that we don't know about right now?
1: Right. So I would say two things about the future of media consumption. There are many things, but like most importantly, two things: first, more personalization; second, metaverse or virtual reality. So um, if I compare the students that I'm teaching here in University of California, um, like five years ago, six years ago, I had a lot of references. Like in order to teach a lesson or theory. You know, as a a literary scholar, I need an example. So I use the example of Game of Thrones because everyone knew it. Like if I use the example of Frozen, everyone knew it. But nowadays, these uh, first year students, like there is no common film to talk about. Everyone watches something else. Oh, so yeah. So if you think if you compare it 10 years ago you know the the famous korean uh, tv show like muhan dojan infinite Challenging. yep i remember watched that show with my parents with my little nephew every family members went to theater to watch avatar but now my dad watching like mr Troad, mistro my 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 nephew watches like uh, show me the money or the street Human fighter Everyone watches their own contents mm. in their own room, mm. in their own device. One person has a cell phone, that person has tablet. So um, it sounds like better future because more personalized, more customized contents for mm. more people. However, I have a concern because it probably means less common ground right. between different age groups. Shared interests,
0: shared content viewing time
1: exactly hmm. so now we're already having in Korea the, a huge conflict between like a gender problem like men group uh, females and males they are already having there is no common ground already and the left wings the right wings and I think because of this rapid personalization in contents and and media consumption this kind of conflict between political parties age groups and gender, will be even you know worse mm. um, and that's the first thing i expect about the future and the second one is
0: metaverse. yeah it's a
1: yeah it's a virtual reality so mm. um i think in the future I, I expect more people will watch um these kind of movies with virtual reality device um on their heads so the, the traditional films are 2d based right you are watching in a sitting on a couch and the screen hanging on the wall but the 2d screen content i think cannot win the immersive kind of experience of 4D experiences you have with VR gear. So imagine you are watching street game, but you are not watching it, but you are in the game spot, in the desk competition, right? You are next to the... You are watching Lee Jong Jae is so like leaking the, the the candy right, right, right next to him. It's
0: it's all. <laughs> you difference. turn around, and there's something else.
1: <laughs> and you turn around and blood like just spurting, you know. Yeah. So already a lot of creative artists and filmmakers are creating a lot of amazing Vera films, mm. even though it's not familiar to uh, regular audiences. So Cannes Film Festival, Venice Film Festival already has a specific section for VR Film Award already, mm-hmm. and um, recently an amazing Korean film director that I admire, Gina Kim, who's a professor in UCLA, she won those awards already with her VR films. So yeah, so it's, it's definitely a time, if you're already interested, it's a time, it's a Black Friday, it's a good time to purchase <laughs> your first VR gear, and there are already a lot of amazing films, and it will provide you a whole different idea what media is.
0: How, I mean, how close do you think we are to seeing VR and, and all of these kind of elements of the metaverse coming into the mainstream? Because we've been I talking think, about this yeah. technology for a while. But in your view, how close are we to actually having everyone have VR gear?
1: I would say what's what matters about the how soon we can get more familiarized to this kind of VR gear is the price of the gear. Mm-hmm. So already the Oculus Quest 2 is like $200, $300. It's like a there's a huddle, it, it still feels expensive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think I would say three years. In three years, the gears will go down, the price will go down. It will be like $50, which is doable. Mm-hmm. Then every household will have one. And then there will be the moment that VR films will be will flourish.
0: But on the production side, you would say that they are ready to f- inundate the market with VR enabled content.
1: It's a good question, but there are actually a lot of amazing films out there. But it's mo- mostly still limited to you know cinephiles and art cinema goers. Mm. However, there are already a, a lot of amazing films that I would like to recommend. I experienced it and it was amazing and. And even BBC, they already began their own website for VR news. So let's say if they want to uh, talk about like the war in Afghanistan, the VR news, they have this 360 degree camera. And it, with the gear, you are actually in that refugee camp. Right. So it's already there. It's happening. Yeah. What, what matters is how much you know cheaper we can purchase the gear to the every, every household in
0: the world. Oh man, what an experience that would be though, right? All right, right. We, what a far reaching discussion we had from OTT platforms all the way to the future of the way we will consume content. Thank you so much, uh, Yu sang from connecting with us from California. You are a visiting lecturer at the University of California, Riverside. Thank you so much. It was great to speak Thank with you. you. Yes. Have a great weekend. Thank you,
1: Thank you for having me.